Good morning. My name is Holly Puckett, and I'm the equipping and training advocate for FAM at Faith, which is short for Family Advocacy Ministry at Faith. And our purpose is to come around families, particularly foster and adoptive families, and support them and serve them. And as Jim mentioned in the video, the primary way that we do this is by putting care communities around them. Care communities are made of four to eight volunteers who serve the family by doing things like bringing them meals, running errands, helping with housework, projects, uh, physical needs like bunk beds or clothing, and really the ways that you can serve families through this ministry are endless. It's a ministry where any sort of gift or skill can be utilized, and we would love to be able to put more care communities around families in this church, but to do that, we need more volunteers, and we would love for you to consider joining Fam at Faith. So if this ministry sounds like something you may be interested in becoming a part of, there are a couple of ways that we have for you to get more information. The first is listed in your bulletin. Next Sunday morning, October 15th at 1030 in the Refuge is FAM Foundations. And this is an informational meeting where you can come, hear more about the heart of the ministry, why we have it, and what it looks like for volunteers to serve in it. Coming to FAM Foundations doesn't tie you down to serving in the ministry, so there are no strings attached. You can come, grab a donut and some coffee, and just hear more about it. And then on Wednesday, October 18th at 6.30, we have care community orientation for those who have decided that they would like to serve in this ministry. The other thing you can do is fill out a connection card, which is in the seat back in front of you. At the top, you can fill out your contact information, and in the bottom, you can list FAM at Faith. And on your way out, you can put it in one of the offering boxes that are on each side of the sound booth, and someone will be in touch with you. Now, if you will, let's turn our attention to scripture. This morning, I will be reading from Acts chapter 21, verse 37, through chapter 22, verse 21. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and sisters, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear, bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is God's word. Thanks, Holly. You know, uh, on behalf of the church, we know many are involved in fostering and adopting, and uh, we just want to say we are proud of you, and we know it's really hard work, and so we're grateful for this ministry that uh, we trust more and more people will gather around uh, to come alongside and assist in the, that expression of love. I want to mention one other thing. Last week, Steve uh, stood up here and talked about his plans for October uh, to spend, uh, be three weeks gone to be in Israel. And I'm sure many of you are wondering in light of the things over there, uh, what's up with Steve? Well, they had not, I think today was their departure day, and so they have decided not to go. Uh, I assume their travel company would have made that decision, but they've already decided not to go. So we're sad for them, obviously, missing this opportunity. They had travel insurance, so that's good. But uh, mostly we're sad about what is going on and the loss of life and, and all that's going there. And so we'd love to take a moment just to pray for things in Israel and in Gaza. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, uh, we are thankful that Steve and Brenda are safe and the wisdom to stay home and Mostly we're, we're just grieved at um, what has happened the last couple of days, uh, the loss of so many lives, uh, so much destruction, so much heartache and pain. Father, we confess that we have no answers. Um, it's such a complex situation. We just ask for you, the God of heaven, who has all power, that you would intervene, that you would stop the current conflict, stop the loss of life, uh, bring peace bring a lasting peace. Um, God, we pray that your presence would comfort those who are suffering and grieving now. And Father, we, we continue to pray as well uh, for the Ukraine and the conflict there, the war there with Russia, and we pray the same thing, God, that you would intervene, that you would bring a peace, a lasting peace. Your presence there would, would comfort. God, in the midst of all of this, we pray that your church would be strong and uh, represent you in the midst of all this heartache and suffering. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, the first time I ever shared my, my story of how Jesus changed my life, uh, I was actually thinking this morning during the first service, I think it was probably about 40 years ago this fall, um, I was part of a Christian group in, in college, and I'd been asked to share my story at our, our statewide fall retreat, and uh, I remember just preparing and working so hard, it was, trying, it was hard to figure out like what? What was my life like before I met Jesus at six years old? It was kind of hard to figure that out. And uh, anyway, I remember standing in front of the 100, 150 people that uh, I, I shared with and uh, just being terrified. And yet it was a group uh, of, of students and staff like, who loved Jesus. It was a really safe crowd, even though I was very nervous. Let's just say uh, it was a very different setting than the setting Paul found himself in today as he shares his story of his changed life, which is what we're going to look at today. We're, we're looking at a passage of scripture that, that really begins an extended treatment of Paul's defense and trials in Jerusalem, Caesarea, all the way to Rome. Luke spends a lot of time about on this. We, we might wonder, why is he spending so much time? And I, I think there's a couple things that Luke is trying to accomplish at, at kind of that, at his level. One is he's making the case that Christianity is not a threat to the peace of Rome. Rome was very big on keeping peace, and he's making the case that uh, Christianity is not the, the source of uh, unrest. It's, it's not a threat to peace. He's also making the case that Christianity is closely related to Judaism, which would be important because Rome extended certain uh, benefits and, and freedoms to the Jews that they didn't to anybody else, and so there could be some, some protection for Christians in light of that. Anyway, all this begins with our passage. And so we've seen over the last couple of weeks, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He's arrived in Jerusalem. He shows up to speak to the leaders of the Jerusalem church, the elders, gives a report about all that God has been doing among the Gentiles. And there's this celebration for the amazing things that, that God has been doing. But the leaders also let Paul know that there's a report about him that creates a very dangerous situation. The, the word that is being spread on the street is that Paul has been teaching Jews to forsake Moses and their Jewish customs, and it's dangerous. And so to quell these reports, the leaders of the church lay out a plan for Paul. He's to go with some other men from the church, some other Jewish believers who are fulfilling a Nazarite vow, and uh, he's to go into the temple with them to uh, present an offering and to pay for it. And Paul agrees to this plan, all this to demonstrate his, that he is still walking in his Jewish customs. Well, while he's in the temple, there's some Jews from Asia, we're told, who uh, have come to Jerusalem for Pentecost, and they're likely from Ephesus, so they've seen Paul in Ephesus, and they cry out that Paul is teaching everyone everywhere to turn away from the law. They also falsely claim that Paul has brought a Gentile with him into a place in the temple that that Gentile should not be, thus defiling the temple. And as a result of this, a crowd arises, a mob arises, and they seize Paul. They drag him out of the temple. They begin beating him. And the text tells us that they were actually seeking to kill him. News of this unrest comes to the, the Roman uh, commander there. And uh, there, there was a, a barracks uh, right adjacent to the temple. And so he rushes into the crowd with his soldiers and apprehends Paul. He arrests him. He has him put in chains. He uh, binds him just as we saw last week when Agabus predicted that that would happen. And so Paul's being carried up to the barracks. And as he's going, he's having this conversation with the Roman tribune. And uh, he eventually persuades him to let him speak to the 
crowd. And uh, probably for the, the Roman commander, he's trying to see what is, all this is about. Maybe if Paul will speak, he will have some insight into what, what has happened. And so here's Paul, beaten, bruised, unjustly, you know, beaten, standing before the mob to share the story of his changed life. Uh, it's a very different setting than I found myself in 40 years ago. But he begins by talking about his life before Christ. Look at, uh, let's go back to 22 verse 1. It says, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And so uh, they assumed he would probably speak Greek, but he speaks Hebrew, specifically the Hebrew dialect of Aramaic. And, and so they understand he's not just a Greek-speaking Hellenistic Jew who grew up outside of Palestine. No, he, he's one of them. He speaks their heart language. And he said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. And so in, in talking about his life before Christ, he's wanting to demonstrate that he has been a faithful Jew and that he's been just as zealous as those now standing before him. He declares, I'm a Jew. I was uh, born in Tarsus, which was an important city, but he says, I was raised in Jerusalem. I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, and uh, he was a highly respected teacher of the law. And since Jewish boys entered into this kind of training when they were 13, he, he likely arrived in Jerusalem before he was 13. And because of this connection to this renowned rabbi, Paul would have been well known among the Jewish religious leaders, and, and as a young Jewish leader, he, he, he was expressing his zeal for God by trying to crush this new movement, this, this Christian movement. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished." So we know that, that Paul was standing by when Stephen was martyred, the first martyr, uh, when he stood by approvingly as he was killed. But by his own testimony here, he's responsible for at least some other believers' deaths. He'd been given this authority by the high priest and the Sanhedrin to go and to arrest Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem. At one point, his point is, he had been just as zealous as the mob before him to crush this movement called the way. He understood their rage. He understood their zeal. This is who he had been before Jesus changed his life. He goes on to talk about his life-changing encounter with Jesus, verse 6. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. And so he makes an interesting point. It was about noon. I mean, the brightest time of day, this light appears, but it outshone the sun. It's so bright. And, and he understands this is a light from heaven. It's a glimpse of God's glory. And so he falls to the ground. He hears a voice which had a question. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus. And there you will be told 
all that I appointed for you to do. Now, let me back up to verse 8. He, he's making the point there that the, the one who appeared to him, the one who uh, spoke to him on the road to Damascus was Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. The one the mob knew had been crucified some years before. And if Jesus is speaking to Paul, it means he's alive. He's not dead. And it means the Jewish religious leaders and the, 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 the Jews more broadly, they had been wrong about him. This is the one who's speaking. And this is the one that Paul asked, what shall I do? And with this question, there's, there's a kind of surrender um, in Paul's question when he says, what shall I do, Lord? He's yielding to Jesus as Lord. He's, he's submitting to Jesus' will. Jesus, te- Jesus tells him to go on to Damascus where he was going and that once he's there, it will be told all that is appointed for him to do. And uh, verse 11 tells us he was guided by the hand because he was blind. He couldn't see. And, and I'm sure that was a humbling thing for Paul who was leading the charge to be led by the hand. Once he's there, he had an, uh, an encounter with another man who, who was, he wants the, the crowd to understand this man was also a faithful Jew. Verse 12, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of all by the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and I saw him. And so Ananias, he embraces him as brother, calls him brother. He restores Paul's sight. And then he had a word for Paul regarding his calling. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from heaven. Why? For you to be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. When he says that it's the, the, the God of our fathers who's appointed him, Ananias is making it clear that Paul is being sent, just like God sent prophets in the Old Testament. God is being sent in a very similar way. And so the message to the mob as they hear Paul recount this is he's saying that it's the God of the fathers. It's our God who has sent me. I'm not opposed to him. He's the one who's actually sending me. The God of their fathers had appointed Paul to know his will, to see Jesus and to hear a voice from Jesus' mouth and it's that face-to-face encounter that qualified him to be an apostle. All of this was so that he would be a witness about what he had seen and heard. Which, by the way, I mean, we're all called to be witnesses, right? And that's a very good definition of what it means to be a witness. We just tell what we've seen. We tell what we have heard about Jesus. Ananias goes on and he says to, to Paul, And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. And so he urges Paul to submit to this, this public proclamation of his faith by, by being baptized in, in Jesus' name. And, and in doing so, uh, Paul would signify through water baptism the spiritual reality that through faith in Jesus, his sins were washed away. And so Paul had been seeking to crush this movement but he has this life-changing encounter with Jesus. He believes and he submits his life to Jesus. And because of this, everything about his life changes. 
And what we've just looked at, it's clear that, that Paul has a calling from Jesus. In verse 10, uh, Ananias tells him, or he's told that, you know, once you get to Damascus, it's going to be told what's appointed for you to do. In verse 15, Ananias tells him he's to be a witness for Jesus. But, but as Paul comes to the end of his address to the mob, he gets very clear about the focus of this calling. He gets clear about his calling from Jesus. He goes on to talk about another kind of vision experience that he has um, three years after the Damascus encounter. And we know it's three years later because in Galatians, when he's uh, recounting his story there, he talks about how after becoming a believer, he went away to Arabia for three years before he ever saw anyone in Jerusalem. And so this is at least three years later. He's now in Jerusalem, and he has this vision, and Jesus gets very specific about his calling. Verse 17. When I'd returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, which is interesting, I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And so he's watching himself have this conversation with Jesus. He's having a conversation with Jesus in this vision. And Jesus commands him to leave Jerusalem. And and Paul pushes back. He's like, Lord, you have this wrong. Am I not the perfect person to stay in Jerusalem to be give testimony in Jerusalem. He believes that because of his, like his Jewish pedigree, how he'd live with all this zeal for the law and Jewish customs, that he is the very one that the Jewish people would listen to. But Jesus has a very different assignment. Sometimes God thinks differently about the ways, that it, what he's up to, right, than we do. But he, and so he has a very different assignment for, for Paul. Paul already knows he's to be a witness for Jesus, but Jesus gets clear about the focus, verse 21. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This was his calling, to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And, of course, uh, you know, as he's standing here speaking to the mob, uh, he, he, he's lived this out, right? We, we've, as we've been walking through Acts, we've seen Paul. He has gone to city after city in Asia and Europe, establishing churches, and, of course, because his love for the Jewish people, he, he often, he'll go to the synagogue first, but he's always going to the Gentiles. And he's been faithful to this call. And his plan eventually is to take the gospel to Spain. But in saying that the God of their fathers has sent him far away to be a witness to the, God, to the, to, of the gospel to the Gentiles, it's too much for the mob. And they erupt again. Verse 22, up to this word, they listen to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. This claim that the God of their fathers had sent him to the Gentiles is blasphemous and, and deserving of death. And so they're being shouting, throwing off their cloaks, flinging dust in the air, and calling for Paul's death. At this point, things are becoming too unruly. The, the commander ends up taking Paul back to the barracks or up to the barracks. And this long process that we'll see over the next number of chapters of Paul's trial and his defense begins. It's an amazing story, right? I mean, his, his story of a changed life is amazing. Paul, Paul's boldness to speak to the crowd here, it's an amazing story. Jesus changed his life 
from being a persecutor of the church to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Jesus changed his life, and it has had an impact down through the generations. It's had an impact on your life and mine. As we think about this example, as we think about this model, his testimony before the mob, there, there's a couple things that, that I want us to uh, take away. One is this. From Paul's story, we understand that no one is too far from God to be saved. No one is too far from God to be saved. Paul, a violent persecutor of the church, his actions led directly to the death of at least some believers. Others were thrown in jail. Yet he was not too far from God to be saved. Who in your life seems too far away from God to be saved? Whose life seems so opposed to God right now that you can't imagine that that person would ever love and worship Jesus? Paul's story reminds us that no one is too far from God to be saved. And so we never give up, right? We keep persisting in hope. We keep persisting in prayer. We keep asking for God to intervene for our child, for our friend, for our neighbor. We continue asking the God of heaven to intervene. We continue to, to find relevant ways to be with them, to keep loving them, to share Jesus with them because we know that no one is too far away. If God shows up, he can change anyone's life. It may be that the person that you think is too far away from God to ever be saved is yourself. In your mind, your sin is too ugly, too deep, too shameful for God to ever love and forgive you. Paul's story declares that is not true. It's just not true. No one is too far from God to be saved. If you will come to God, if you will humble yourself, if you will just acknowledge your sin and turn to him in repentance and trust Jesus to forgive your sin, God will enter in. God will save you. No one is too far from God to be saved. Here's a th second thought. Paul's testimony here to um, his Jewish brothers demonstrates really that it's, it's love that needs to be what drives our actions. It's love that needs to drive our outreach. As I thought about Paul in this setting, why he wanted to speak to this mob that had beaten him and tried to kill him, why did he want to speak to them? Why would he do that? If I had been just pummeled by a crowd, like I'm done with them, right? I'm, take me into the barracks, but not Paul. Why did he want to speak to them? love. He loved them. He cared deeply about the Jewish nation. Think about uh, some of the things he wrote in Romans. In Romans 9, 1 through 3, he, he said this, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have 
great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. A little later in Romans 10, 1, he said, Brothers, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He loved them. He had compassion for them. He longed for them to know Jesus. And so moments after they had beaten him and tried to kill him, he wants to share his story of what Jesus has done in his life. Love is what pressed, caused him to press through and, and to stay there and to boldly proclaim his story. Here's the thing. If you've been here for any time, if you've been a believer for any length of time, you know that the Scripture, uh, we're all called to, to bear witness for Jesus. We're all called to be witnesses, right? We all know that. And we could stand up here every week and we could tell you, go this week and, and bear witness, be a, you know, give testimony to Jesus. We could tell you that. We could tell you how to do that. But if you don't have love in your hearts, it really won't happen. Or it won't happen well. Love needs to be what motivates us. Love needs to be what drives our actions. When you think about, like, how hard it is and the barriers and the difficulties of, and, and the courage it takes to take the risk to have a conversation. So often that stuff's just too much and, and we just will back down. It's love that will push through that. It's love that will be willing to take a risk. It's love that will say, I, I, you know, if, if I'm willing to take this risk because I care about you and I, I care about that more than maybe being embarrassed or whatever it is. It's love that must drive our actions. So you have to ask myself, we have to ask ourselves, do I have love in my heart for those who are far away from God? And I'm sure for most of us, we kind of go, there's room for growth, right? It's certainly true in my life, room for growth that, that I would have love in my heart. And so some thoughts about that. I mean, we, we, we know that love is a fruit that the Spirit of God produces us in us as we grow in Christ. And so we can trust we should become increasingly more loving over time as we stay close to God, as we grow up in Him, as we trust Him. It's what He wants to do in our lives. But secondly, Scripture's real clear. When we pray anything according to God's will, He hears us and He will do what we've asked. And so is it God's will that you would have love in your heart for people that don't know Jesus? I mean... I think it's pretty clear that that is God's will for all of us. And so I think we can pray with confidence, God, do something, do a work in my heart to give me the kind of love that Jesus had as he hung on the cross. Give me a love of that nature, of that kind, that would allow me to kind of press forward, let love be the thing that drives my actions in this area. Here's a real specific thing you, you maybe you could try this week. Let me encourage you to do this week. Take time to reflect on, on spiritual realities of people in your life. And, and let me encourage you maybe to think about one person in particular. Just take time this week to reflect on one person in your life, whether it's a family member, a classmate, a neighbor, a friend who does not know Jesus as far as you know. Every day this week, ponder their life. Ponder their spirituality. Think about their standing before God. And what that means for them in this life and the next. And just, just think about that. Let that sort of settle deep in your heart and, and let that be something that maybe God would use to stir up compassion and, and love for that one person. Love needs to be what drives our actions. 
Finally, um, yeah, like Paul, we're called to share what we've seen and heard. Uh, we're called to be witnesses. And so be prepared to tell your story. And uh, I would love to talk a lot more here. Don't have time, but l- let me mention just one really practical thing. Right now, and some of you are in this already, but uh, right now Steve Peterson and um, John Schwartz are leading a class on Tuesday nights called First Steps. And it's, it's really about uh, developing a lifestyle, a rhythm of reaching out, a rhythm of loving people, of, of, uh, of kind of a process of discipleship, of inviting people to enter into conversations about Jesus. And so uh, it will help prepare you to tell your story. It will help prepare you and put you in places to be having these kind of conversations. It will stir up love in your heart for people. And so it's a very practical thing that you could do this fall if you want to lean into this idea of being prepared. And so it meets on Tuesday nights. Um, the next time they will meet is October 17th. And, and John and Steve have said that like people can join at any point and, and October 17th is the deadline. And so that would be, if you want to do it, uh, you could sign up and, and start with them. And it, then I'll start meeting weekly from October 17th on. And to, uh, you know, if it's Tuesday nights here at the church, 630 to 830. Um, you could just show up, but it'd be great if you would register. If you go to the church center app, go to groups uh, or online, it's under equipping and you could sign up for that. It'd be a great way to prepare to tell your story. No one is too far from God to be saved. Love needs to be what drives our actions. We need to be prepared to tell how Jesus has changed our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful for uh, this model of Paul, his life, and uh, what we see here. Uh, Such courage um, driven by love for uh, the people that treated him very unfairly had beaten him. And God, as we, we think about uh, that model, we pray, God, that you would grow love in our hearts, that, that we, as we move through our days, as we consider those around us who, who don't know you, who are unaware of what you've done for them, God, may we be men and women that, that genuinely love them and that would move towards them. Uh, let love be the thing that moves us towards them. Father, thank you for the, the reality we see here that no one is too far away. Uh, there's no one that cannot be saved, that you can intervene in, in everyone's life. And so that gives us hope. Help us to be people who persist in prayer and, and continue to love people knowing that you're a God that, that is not, uh, you're able to save anyone. We thank you for that. Father, we need your grace, your wisdom to, to grow in this area. We uh, thank you for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. I stand.